He says, the salutation of my own hand, Paul's. Now, Paul dictated the letters. All the letters that Paul wrote, he dictated. Someone else wrote what he said. It's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because as Paul is quoting, it, it's like the Holy Spirit is behind Paul telling Paul what to say. And then Paul is saying it. He's, he's dictating this letter to them, and, and someone is writing down what he is saying. Someone else is pinning, actually pinning the letter. And it's almost a picture of Paul with that writer of what we see with, with the Holy Spirit working in, in the inspired writings of Scripture. Because it's the Holy Spirit who tells that writer, that author, it's the Holy Spirit who told Paul what to write. It was, Paul wasn't just speaking what Paul wanted to say. He was saying what the Holy Spirit told him to say. So then he says it. And then it, and, it, and it's commanded, and we know who this writer is, or at least I think I know who this writer is. And we see him in chapter 1, verse 1. We go back there. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. I believe that Sosthenes was the man who was penning this letter as he's writing. Why else would Paul include him in that right there? So uh, my speculation is Sosthenes is the one who's penning the letter. But we get down here to these last few verses, these last four verses of the letter, and Paul now, he he picks up the pen. He's dictated this. He dictates all his letters. You can see it, all of his letters. And he's got some type of salutation where he actually indicates, this is of my own hand. This is what I'm writing. And he always did that. So when he came to the end of this letter, he picked up the pen himself and he personally wrote a concluding salutation in his own hand. And if, you, if you're familiar with this, you'll know that this is part of the reason from, from what he wrote of why people believe that he had problems with his eyes. Because he would write in there, one of them he wrote about what big letters he wrote in. Apparently Paul's vision was really bad. And so it would make sense that he couldn't write a letter. So he wrote, maybe wrote big block letters or whatever. Might even looked, might have even looked childish in the way he wrote it because his vision was just, it was really bad. But he writes in his own hand. And now, now that's what we find here in these concluding remarks in this letter. He picks up the pen and he writes, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. Verse 22. Now, this is a hard statement here. This is a hard as, as, as what Paul has to say. So if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Now, this morning, for the sake of, of, of what I'm teaching on, I want us to, I'm going to reference the King James Version, okay? Because I like the way it says it. I actually had all the other, I had several different versions. I was going to read them to you. And they're so close, but the way the wording at the end is different. I want you to look at some words here. In the New King James, I just read, it says, Let him be accursed, O Lord, come. And the King James says it this way, If a man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. You've heard that word. You've heard that word before. Anathema, Maranatha. Now, I love that those words are not translated. I love it they're not translated because here's what it does. I run up on that and I, I go, okay, what does that mean? Anybody else do that? If someone just writes what it means, they write, they're writing that, they put a word in there and you go, okay, uh, uh, what does that mean? You know, that's kind of what we have. But it makes us, when we come up on that, it makes us ask questions. It makes us look up their meaning. Randy, you like to look up words, don't you? He's looking them up right now. He's looking up those words right now. <laughs> if I've taught Randy anything, I think that was that. I gave him a love for looking up words and understanding what they mean. He's over here looking them up right now. 
And so it, it makes you, you look up the meaning and get a better idea of the real meaning of the words. And even if it's translated, let me encourage you, there's some great tools. You can get any kind of, all these apps on your phone that would have Strong's Concordance, would have the, the Greek dictionary. You can go back and you can look up what any of those words mean. And our English language is inadequate. Greek doesn't translate to English real well. There are multiple words that would be in Greek that we only have one word. So it's, it's really good to go back and look up those words. So we want to look and understand this. Now, the fact that these words weren't translated, that's not unique in the New Testament. Mark chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus said, Ephphathah, and that is, be opened. So there's a word that was left untranslated. It was just the word in the, in the Aramaic. It was, that's the word, and it's, it, it's be opened. Acts 1.19, and the field was called Akildama, the field of blood. So that, that phrase is there in the original language. Matthew 27.46, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabath thani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'm glad that's there because it, it draws our attention to it and I'm glad it's there because that's what the Holy Spirit wanted us to read. Amen? It's what He left for us. So here we have those two words, Maranatha and Anathema, that are left untranslated. So we want to look those up. But, but here's the thing I'll tell you to start with. Those words don't have anything to do with each other. Okay? They don't have anything to do with each other. So when you, when you see those there, you would think, well, that's a phrase that Paul put together that has some particular meaning. It doesn't. These words, as such, have nothing to do with each other. But this, this, this phrase, anathema, maranatha, together, again, they're not a phrase, but the way Paul uses them, there's a tremendous importance that he's drawing to this. And I hope that that's what we're going to get today. So that's the message this morning. I, tie, I got it, two titles, okay? So it's Anathema Maranatha. That's what I had. And then yesterday as I was, I was walk, working through this and I, was, I read it to Gina, she said, I love the part right there where you said that. And so I changed the title. So the title this morning is The Terror and Tenderness of the Gospel. The Terror and Tenderness of the Gospel. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's have a word of prayer. Father... As we look to your word right now, um, I'm always excited to go to your word. I'm excited to preach your word. I'm thankful for the blessing, the opportunity you've given me to do this. Lord, right now as we look to your word, I pray that you would take all that has been prepared and poured into me this week and you would allow me to clearly communicate it according to your will. Father, if there's anything that, that might would begin to cross this, this, these lips that, Lord, you don't want said, I pray you'd hinder that, you'd stop that. Lord, if there's anything that I have not prepared to speak this morning that, that you won't said, God, would you bring it to my mind? Would you prompt me, Lord, to share it? I just pray, Lord, that you would use me as just an instrument in your hand to convey truth from your word, that, that Lord, the information that we receive uh, would be transformational by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, just bless and move and work, and we'll praise you and thank you, God, for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look now at those words. What does this word anathema means? Well, it, it's a word that, that really today it's, it's kind of transliterated and it's a word that's it's in our English language now, this anathema. Um, but but uh, your translation, your, your, whatever version of the Bible you're reading, you may read there and it says, let him be accursed. And that may be the word they've used to translate it that way. Let him be accursed. Okay, so your translation may say accursed, and that's not wrong. Let me just be clear up front. That's not wrong. But, but, what, does, but what does that mean? 
You know, if we're going to be honest, I got to ask you, how many of you, all right, you're, it says a curse, but when you read that, did you know exactly what that means? What does that entail? What, did, what does that mean, a curse? You, you may have an idea, but what does that really mean? And so there, there's, um, there, there's more than just a curse here. So this word anathema, it means this. It means a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. All right, so that, give you a, that gives you a little better meaning of what accursed means, okay? So it is a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. And if an animal, to be slain. So a, a, an offering that was taken to be put on the idol, that offering, it was anathema. It was, it was devoted It was devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. It was going to be slayed on that altar. Does that make sense? It's, it's not coming back. That's the idea here. It's not coming back. So therefore, what this means is a person or thing doomed to destruction. And it means, it means this, it means devoted completely. So it, 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 that's kind of the idea of this word anathema, devoted completely. And it came to refer to a thing devoted completely, listen, by God for destruction. Not by someone else for destruction. This is, this is what this word anathema means. It is something that is completely devoted by God for destruction. All right, so some, some examples. Old Testament, all of Jericho was devoted for destruction. All of it. You can go back and read Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through 27. All of it was accursed, and all of it was to be completely destroyed. And it was, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah were completely devoted for destruction. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 18 uh, through the end, like the verse 29, verse 19. There's a, there's a whole lot. Just read through that story. Sodom and Gomorrah were completely devoted for destruction. They were accursed. And that word, that's what that means. It means accursed. It means damned. It means an irrevocable final sending away from God. That's a, that's a strong Word, amen? amen. Is that a little stronger understanding now than simply accursed? So I would hope you'd look that word up anyway, because it would give you the same. Because that's what it comes from. But boy, when I see those words, I want to look them up and see what does that mean. Now we have a, a good idea of what this anathema means. It, it means irrevocable, final sending away from God. Galatians one eighteen uh, one uh, chapter one verse eight gives us this. It says, "But even if we." or an angel from heaven preach another, any other gospel to you than, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It's the same word. Let him be anathema. And, and what, what that is, that's a warning there. If someone comes preaching a false gospel, they're damned. They're damned. They're accursed. They, they are, they are, there is an irrevocable, once it happens, once, if, if they don't turn their heart toward God, if they don't change and repent of that, when that time comes, when they die, they are going to be irrevocably sent away from God. It'll be for all of eternity. It was great warning there. Paul said this in Romans 9, verse 2 and 3. He said that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. Same word, anathema. He, that, that's what now you understand when you've re, how many of you have read that verse before and you go, well, Paul, that's a pretty strong statement to be accursed. I, w- I wish that I myself could be accursed so that my so for Christ from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Look, that is strong, strong words. And that was, that was, a, it was a serious thing. We see the depth of Paul's love for his people. He was willing to be separated from God for all of eternity for their salvation. I'm going to tell you, I love people. 
I don't know that I love anybody that much. I'm just being honest. I don't know that I would for anyone. Gina, I love you. I'm just telling you, I love you. But you've had a choice. And if you don't choose, I don't know that I, I don't, I, I, you get where I'm coming from? I don't know that I'm going to say, I wish I could burn in hell for all of eternity so that that person who's rejected Christ or whatever, that they would come to Christ. I don't know that I love anybody that way. Maybe I should. Now, preacher, you ought to love like that. Maybe I should. You should too. Y'all are all going, amen, preacher, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, man, in which you just see the depth of Paul's love for his people. Strong words. That's the depth of this word anathema. Okay, so you got an idea of what that means. Now, the word maranatha. And maranatha is made up of two Aramaic words. The first being mara means the Lord. And the second part of that, atha, means he comes. So simply, what does that mean? The Lord, he comes. Okay, so when you say maranatha, you know, it, it carries that translation of the Lord comes. The Lord comes. He's coming. The Lord comes. Now, y'all ready to sing? Y'all sang this morning. I'm turning to the singing preacher, and I don't even sing. Well, I'm going to lead you in a little singing this morning, okay? How many of you have ever been to youth camp? A lot of you have been to youth camp. I'm going to ask you to stand up, because I'm going to teach you a youth camp song. And you will not know, I promise you, you will not know this song. If somebody knows this song, I got $10 if you know this song. Does it? I got $10 for anybody that knows this song. I'm confident nobody knows this song because this song was written by John Reynolds, Pastor John Reynolds, and it was written for Camp Maranatha in Isla, Georgia, probably back in the 60s for a youth camp there in Isla, Georgia. Now, I'm going to kind of sing through it, and then we're going to have the words because I want you to join me with in it, okay? And here's how the song goes. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Maranatha, it may be soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming, maybe morning, night, or noon. Are you ready now to meet him? Are you what he'd have you be? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Are you ready his face to see? And then the kids would yell, yes! Okay, you got it? Think we can sing it? It's like being at youth camp, Okay. And, go, and, and we go at youth camp, we go, all right, get up. Come on, get up. Everybody up. Seriously, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Come on, everybody up. We're going to sing. All right, you ready? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Maranatha, it may be soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Maybe morning, night, or noon. Are you ready now to meet him? Are you what he'd have you be? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Are you ready his face to see? Yes! That's good. Y'all did good. You can be seated. Y'all want to sing it again, don't you? I can tell. I can tell. Listen, that, that was, those are great memories. Gina went to Camp Maranatha. Didn't you go to Camp Maranatha as a kid? You wouldn't go away from home, would you? No, wouldn't spend the, wouldn't spend the night away from home. Uh, but Camp Maranatha was like for, I don't know, did it start with seven-year-olds or nine-year-olds? 
Started with nine-year-olds, went up to, up to teenagers, okay? And uh, camp's still going, still going. But uh, John Reynolds' wife, Becky, her dad started that camp in the early 60s. And so we, we grew up having part in that camp. I had a chance to preach there a lot of stuff. But that part right there, leading those kids, singing those songs, was, was so much fun. So here's the thing about Maranatha. Evidently, in those early days... The Jewish Christians, when they would meet one another, they greet each other with that word, Maranatha. Doesn't that make sense? So it's, so it's, it's kind of like they would say, you know, when they say Maranatha, it's, it's till he comes. Till he comes. We're going to go forward. We're going to keep moving till he comes. Or it could be translated, um, the Lord cometh. The Lord's coming. He's coming. You know, I think that's a lot better greeting than uh, how you doing. So, so I'm changing so many things in my vocabulary. This is the Lord's day, right? This is the Lord's day. I'm going to change. I want you to call me on it because I'm going to start saying Maranatha to you. When I see you, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. I'm not going to ask you how you, I probably will, but help me with this. Mar, Maranatha. I'm going to say Maranatha. I'm going to see Raymond. Maranatha. Man, the Lord's coming. It's an exclamation. That's an encouragement. You know what? Isn't that more encouraging than how you're doing? Well, you know, I ain't so good. I'm, my liver pill, ran out of my liver pills this week. I got to go get me some more liver. You know, whatever. We, 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 that, that, that's a whole lot more encouraging to say, Maranatha. What does that mean? The Lord's coming. We believe that. Amen? The Lord's coming. I wish Trish, Trish Deer were here because she'd be going, Amen! Amen! I'm ready right now. I start talking about the, 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 the rapture and Trish gets all excited. On Wednesday night, it's crazy. It's fun. She gets excited. And we should. Because the Lord's coming. And it may be morning, night, or noon. We don't, know, we don't know when the Lord's coming. We ought to all be ready. We ought to always be looking. Are you ready now? Now, right now, are you ready now to meet Him? Are you what He'd have you be? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Are you ready as face to see? Well, what Paul says there in verse 22, man, it's, a, it's an awful thing that he has to say there. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be sent away, doomed to, 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 to hell for all of eternity. Now, what Paul is talking about there in verse 22, he's talking about salvation. He's not talking about simple, a, a simple affinity. He's talking about salvation because if there's salvation, then there should be a love for the Lord. Amen. And if you, if you don't have a love for the Lord, I'd say there's no salvation. It's kind of a, and that's what he's saying here. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, this is, that's what he's saying is you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If someone doesn't love Jesus, there's no salvation. So he's writing to the church. He's certainly speaking uh, of anyone outside the church who hasn't been born again right here. He is speaking to that. But he's also speaking to those in the church who have made a profession of faith but are not truly born again. We've read the letter, right? We've read through, it, read through the 16 chapters of this book that Paul's written. I, I would believe with all my heart there were people in that church that did not know the Lord as their Savior. Amen? Amen. You know, today, well, we'll go back in history. Uh, uh, Billy Graham said that he believed half of church members were lost. Half, church, half of the church members, members sitting in the church were lost. Franklin Graham has said he believes it's more than that. 
So when Paul's writing this, this is not just applicable to those outside the church, but it's applicable for those inside the church. And, and it's a warning. You're going to see that. 1 John 5, 3, 3 and 4 says this, For this is the love of God. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Boy, if we, if we don't love the Lord enough to simply obey Him, then we don't love the Lord. How can we say that the man who died on a cross, that God who came in the form of man who lived a sinless life and went to the cross to pay for my sin, how would I even be willing to dabble in the sin that hung him on the cross? And we don't dabble with it. We run around and, 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 and dance with it. Man, we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That is a clear indicator of, of our, a life that's transformed or not transformed. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by his grace through our faith in him. Again, verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. He's damned. He is eternally devoted to destruction and hell and damnation. And those are hard words. That's hard. I don't imagine Paul took a lot of joy in writing that. Now, you see, there's two great pillars. I want to sidestep aside and understand kind of what Paul's talking about here. Because there are two great pillars upon which the testimony and the gospel of Jesus Christ rest. The first pillar is this, and we find that in 1 Corinthians 15. We studied this a few weeks ago. Verse 3 says that Christ died. Christ died. This is the gospel. For Christ died for our sins. Did he die? What did Christ do? He died. Christ died for... Why did he die? For our sins. He didn't die just to show us another way. He didn't, he didn't come to live a life just to show us how we ought to live. There are people that say that. He just came to be an example. No, he, he left an example for us. But if that was the deal, there's no salvation in that because he was God. I'm not. There's no way I can do what he did. Amen? Right. He died. He came and Christ died. Why did he die? For our sins. How do we know that? Because the scriptures tell us that. It was, it was, you go back in the Old Testament, it was foretold that he would die for our sins. We read of the scriptures that, that are recorded of him dying on the cross for our sins. We read the testimony of those eyewitnesses who saw him die for our sins. Now, there's two lies that people believe today. Two lies that some people will hold on to that, that keep them from trusting Christ. Two of them. And, and there's others, but there's two primary. And people will say this. They'll say, well, my, my sin's not that bad. My sin's not that bad. God won't send me to hell. Because you know what it is? They're not acknowledging their sin. They're not acknowledging their sinfulness. Well, Christ died for our sin. So sin must be serious or God would not have sent Jesus to die for our sin. Amen? And if, and if he could have done it any other way, if it was just like, all right, you know, you know, sacrificing an animal, good. That'll cover your sin. I'll take care of all that. If that would do it, he would have done that. He didn't do that. He sent his son Jesus who died for our sins. The other lie that people buy into is this. My sin is too bad. God couldn't forgive it. And you know what? Here's what's interesting. Both of those are driven by pride. One is, well, my sin's not that bad. I'm really a good person and God wouldn't send me to hell. The other is, my sin is so bad. Ain't no way God would forgive. It's driven by pride, folks. 
It's not the humble person who, who, who glories in that. It's someone who's glorying in their sin. My sin is so... You just don't even know what all I've done. And they're saying their sin is more powerful than the blood of Christ that was shed for all sin. In either case, if that were the case, God would not have sent Jesus to die for our sin if it was no big deal or if it were impossible for it to for him to forgive that sin and cover that sin. Does that make sense? People buy that. But that's the first pillar, is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Second is this, and it continues in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We have the gospel. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he rose again. He was buried and he rose again. We know the history of that. Three days later, he come out of that grave alive. Not a spirit, a body. His body that died on that cross rose. It was risen. It did not corrupt. It did not rot. It rose in that body and then it was a glorified body. He he rose from the dead again on the third day according to the Scriptures. He lives. He lives today. He didn't rise from the dead and then ten years later die again. He rose and he gained victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. Right there, it's done. It's done. He never dies. He lives. He lives now. He lives right now sitting at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. He's there. He is alive in His body. Okay, He's there. But here's the other part of this, this pillar of, 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 our, of the, his testimony and of, of the gospel is that he's coming again. He's coming again. We, we, for Acts chapter 1, verse 11, uh, men of Galilee, the angels who were standing there as the Lord ascended, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will soon come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again, folks. He's coming again. And so, and so the, these are the two great pillars of our Christian faith. And one, we look back. We look back and we see the, the cradle where God became man. And we see the cross where, where God went to the cross. He died for our sin. We see that there. But then we look to the future and we see the rapture of the church. And we see the return of God, the second coming of Christ. We see that in the future. And where do we hang? In this fragile little, little thing called the present. It's fragile and it's fleeting. Man, it's just like that. So listen, when there is trust, when we trust Christ for salvation, when we've been born again, then when we say Maranatha, the Lord's coming, that's a blessing, amen? amen. That's a blessing. It's, it's an exhilarating thing. It's a terrific thing, amen? Amen. But when someone doesn't understand the gospel or they reject Christ, Maranatha is a terrifying thing. The thought that the Lord comes back and I have not been born again. I have not been forgiven of my sin. And now I am anathema. When that time comes and I can no longer uh, be, 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 there's no longer hope for me to be saved. Again, verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Now, Paul's not making, understand this, that reads, and I've gone back and looked, and I don't know a better, I don't know, the, I don't, I'm not a Greek expert, so I can't, every translation puts it, let him be anathema. It almost, 
hear me, I ain't trying to correct the scriptures, but it almost seems like it would sound better or it would make more clear sense to what this means if it said he is anathema. Because it sounds like Paul is speaking a curse on him. If someone doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Paul's not doing that. Paul's not doing that. Paul's not making a judgment here. He's not cursing them. It's not a wish that he has. They've rejected God. Let them be anathema. That's not what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. Paul is issuing a prophetic warning. He's speaking to the truth of what is coming if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He says, if any man, you know, if any man turns from Christ, meaning that they reject Christ, damnation awaits him. Hell awaits him. The torment of fire and destruction awaits him. Now that sounds harsh, and Paul is very blunt in that. He's very direct in that. But that, folks, is the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. If rejected or refused, it is harsh. Should we, should we water down the truth of that? No. Should we water down hell? No. Should we not tell people that hell is a terrible thing? And that it's real? Of course not. But we see Paul's tenderness here as well. He's very direct. He makes this prophetic thing. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are anathema. If you die in that, you, are, you will be damned for all of eternity out of the presence of God in a real place called hell. That's what he's saying. He didn't like saying that, but he spoke truth. But we see his tenderness. And his tenderness that we're going to see in these next verses here in a minute, it reflects, again, the terror and the tenderness of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We're sinners, amen? amen. We're sinners. Our sin has separated us from God. We cannot save ourselves. And without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts by God's grace, through our repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will face hell and destruction and damnation. We, we are anathema. Without Christ, that's what we are. Let me read for Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says this, starting in verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's terror. Verse 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed, there is tenderness. See, it's always there. This is, this is hell. It's real. It's there. But here's heaven. Right. You know, and people say, well, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in, I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in hell. Well, listen, if there's no hell, there's no heaven. Right. Scripture speaks of If there's no Satan, there's no God. Right. So you, you can deny the truth over here, but you can't buffet style and pick and choose what you want out of the Scriptures. The Bible is very, very clear. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And when we read the gospel, there is terror in that. Uh, let's, John 3, 16. Everybody's familiar with that verse. Let's look at the terror and the tenderness right here. For God so loved the world. Boy, there's tenderness. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's tenderness there. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. There's terror. Because if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you die in your sin, you will perish. You will anathema. You will be cast away from God forever in a real place called hell. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's there's the tenderness. And the flip side of that, whoever does not believe in him shall perish and not have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's that way all the way through. When you you read through the entire Bible, and and there's a contrast of, of, of the gospel message, when we see that truth, there's always the terror of hell, but there's the tenderness that God has made a way. He loves us. Paul, that's what Paul's saying. If any man loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. This is, this is love from Paul. This is compassion. This is, this is a warning. Proverbs 27, 5 says, says, open rebuke is better than secret love. I've heard people say, well, you know, I just don't know how to talk to my family. I, don't, I know they're lost, but I don't know how to say anything. Well, say something. If you love them, say something. Well, they might get mad. You know what? They might, but they might go to hell if you don't say something. Preacher, you're being harsh this morning. Hell's harsh. You know, everything can't be warm and fuzzies. We have to speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. Rebuke is the voice of love. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Well, they won't be mad at you anyway. So just let them get mad at you about something worth saying. Amen? Amen. Pleading against wrong and unrighteousness is the voice of somebody who cares. Man, when we speak, we speak against wrong and unrighteousness, it's the voice of those who care. There's so much, you know, I'm not into the politics. Well, I am into the politics. I am. I was about to tell a lie. I'm not into politics simply for politics. I've never cared for politics. But, but it's like I've said many times, the politics of today are all moral issues. 99.8% of them are moral issues. They've gotten into our realm. They've gotten into the spiritual realm. They've gotten into God's business. They're not doing their job that God gave them a job to do with, with God-ordained authority as a government, and now they're in your business. They're in my business. And they're in the, the morality issues. So it is, it is our issue. And if someone says, I don't think politics should be talked about from the pulpit. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Abortion is not a political issue. It's a life issue. It's a scriptural issue. Transgenderism, homosexuality is not a, 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 a political issue. It's a moral issue. And we're going to deal with the truth from the scriptures. Amen. We're going to deal with what God says. It's not because I'm, it's not a, well, you just don't like those people. You're, you're transphobic. I ain't transphobic. I ain't scared of none of them. I'm not scared of them. I love them. I speak truth because that's not right. You're rejecting what God made you. You're divine, the very form of what God made you. You're destroying. You're trying to destroy. And it's not necessarily that person. I believe with all my heart. It's a a push from from Satan, from the darkness of of the the pits of hell that come up to say, oh, you need to change that body because that body was created in the image of God. 
So that's where it comes from. That's all free. That's not in here at all. <laughs> but folks, when we care, we need to say something. Silence when someone is lost is not love at all. Don't let fear keep you from warning those who are not in Christ. And folks that are around you that don't know the Lord, you got to tell them. Colossians 1.8 says, Christ we preach. It says Him we preach, but Christ, speaking of Christ, Christ we preach, warning every man. That's our job. I can't make anybody believe anything. I, can't, I wish I could make people, you know, convince them. I can't make anybody can't convince them of anything. All I can do is preach what God tells me to preach, present truth from the Word of God, and pray the Holy Spirit of God uses it. It takes the information that, that is then transformational to change a heart. Don't, don't go that way. You know, that's what, that's what we're saying when, when we, we give these warnings. We say, don't go that way. It leads to hell. Stop. Stop. Don't do it. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. And what do people do? Shut up. You don't... I mean, there's videos now. There's always videos out there. Somebody's trying to help somebody. They get all upset and get mad because you're trying to help them. And they're like, well, okay, I won't tell you you got a flat tire then. I was just trying to help you. Oh, well, could you help me now? Whatever. (laughs) Stop. Stop. That's what we should be saying. You're going the wrong way. And that's Paul's heart, and that ought to be our heart. Amen. So Paul closes the letter then. He comes to verse 23, and Pastor Aaron, you and Jim can make your way forward, wrapping up here. Verse 23 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace, here's tenderness, isn't it? Boy, what a hard verse, verse 22. What a direct, blunt, just speaking truth, and I believe in love. Verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love we be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's how he finishes. My love be with you all. He was concerned for them, all of them. He loved them all. He wanted them all to get right, to be right with the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke out of love, not hate. He spoke out of compassion, not condemnation. There were many problems that Paul rebuked in this letter, many people he corrected, but he loved them all. He wanted them He wanted them to get right. He put his arm around the whole church. Some of them had disappointed him. Some of them had had really fallen into grave sin. Some of them deny the very gospel that he's preaching. But he picks up his pen and he writes, My love be with you all. He loved them. He wanted to see them turn around and go the other way. He wanted to see them confess their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to Christ, either for salvation or repentance and forgiveness and cleansing to to be restored in their their fellowship with God. I don't guess there's any better way uh, or or any any better picture of the gospel and, and our commission than that a man put his arm around another that needs Jesus and loving that person into the kingdom. Praying over him for Jesus' sake, that the God's, you know, that there, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's our commission. It's to go out and reach those that are lost. Man, if we're all only going to love the, boy, the cleaned up, uh, neat, haircutted uh, Christian, you know, the, the people in the church, man, they just look wonderful. If that's, if that, that's not the great commission. No. Now, there, there's, there's, I believe with all my heart, there's lost people sitting in this congregation this morning. There's some that are sitting here this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Men, I want to do anything I can to help you come to know Jesus Christ. 
That's my heart's desire. Now, I want to tell you when things are wrong. I'm going to shoot you straight and tell you that's not right. You're going the wrong way. Now, I don't think you, you help at all by compromising and capitulating to sin. But we speak the truth in love. And not caring what a man is or what he's doing, done. That, that, that's the thing. You, you, you think about somebody that got out of prison and nobody's ever cared about them. But man, that person, you come beside them, you put your arm around them and say, Listen, Jesus loves you. And Jesus came, he died for you. He loves you. The gospel is the Christian down on his knees with his arm around a fallen and needy brother asking God to save him. That's the gospel. That's our commission. 1 John 5, 12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that's the bottom line, folks. You know, uh, Jesse Harrelson's not here this morning, but I, I told you there's a... She, yeah, she is here. There you are. I, I usually see you down over this way. Um, Jesse had a, Miss Jesse had a shirt with, with FCA, and I think I told you all this a few weeks ago, but on the shirt it says, If it's not important the day you die, it's not important. Folks, we get so caught up in the things that just don't matter. They just don't matter. We spend all our time worried about things that just don't matter. We get ulcers worried about, about interpersonal things, business things, work things. We get all talked about our 401Ks. We, we, we go, retirement, retirement, what's that? What is that word, Pastor Aaron? I don't know what that means. Uh, I have no intention of retiring. I have no ability to retire either. So it, <laughs> those, those, those two go hand in hand. But, but I've, never, I've never intended to retire. I've intended to go till I, till I can't. And, and since I'm going to have to go because I can't, I'm going to go. Uh, I joke, but um, it, it's, not very, it's not very funny. <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line, though. If it doesn't matter the day you die, and man, the day you die, the instant you pass from life here to, to life on the other side, and you will, that instant, you'll know. And you'll either have an eternity of regret because you rejected the one offer, the one offer that can save you, the Lord Jesus Christ. No others. We sang that first song, and I was thinking about our God. What a blessing. We serve the one true God, the living God, the true God, Jesus Christ. All these other religions that are out there chasing false religion, chasing all these other ways, trying to do, 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 do their way to heaven. It's so, it's just, it's so disheartening. It's, it's so sad. But the way is there, and the way has been revealed, and they're rejecting it. And if they do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let them be anathema. Our job is to go out and tell them about Jesus. Our job is to go out and tell them about Jesus. So when we say, Maranatha, the Lord's coming. And that's their testimony. That's all that matters. Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm going I'm to give a very simple... Pastor Aaron, I'm going to ask you to sing. If you'll just sing and play this morning, okay? And uh, I'm going to ask you to stay seated. Simple, simple invitation this morning. Number one, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you don't, then I'm going to ask you, everyone's going to, we're going to, we're going to be in an attitude of prayer. That's what I want to ask us to do this morning. I just want you to be in an attitude of prayer. So when they start singing, I'm going to ask you to put your heads down, your eyes closed, because there may be somebody sitting out there going, i got 150, 160 people looking at me. And, and, and they may be hesitant to do something. They may be hesitant to move. But I'm, going to, I'm, going to be, I'm pleading with you this morning, as though God were right here pleading with you this morning. 
If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we start playing here in a few moments, it's just simply step out. Let me take the Bible and let me introduce you to Jesus Christ this morning. But Christian, maybe, maybe, maybe there's stuff you need to deal with with God. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. But God does, and God's speaking to your heart even right now. This would be a great time just to come to the altar and, and maybe get some things right with God. Maybe this morning there's somebody that's on your heart that you go, you know what? I, I, I believe they're lost, and I have a voice in their life, and I haven't said anything. Maybe this morning there needs to be a commitment made that you're going to be the voice of truth, the voice of gospel truth in their life. Maybe that's the commitment that needs to be made this morning. So this altar is open. And when we start to sing, I, I just encourage you to move forward, come and, come and talk to the Lord. Uh, if you want to talk to me Pat, or Brother Raymond here, uh, Brother John, somebody else, even Randy over here, we got plenty of men here that love to, to speak to you and share with you how you can today know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Father God, I pray that you will work, you'll move, you'll bless. I know the Holy Spirit's already working on our hearts. May we simply now, as we've listened intently and obediently uh, or, or humbly, may we now obediently respond to whatever it is you want to do in our hearts. So God, would you just have your will and your way in this invitation now, and we'll thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll just remain here.